0: This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems. It's time to expect more from your network. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges.
1: This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The White House has a new executive order to improve the government's service delivery to the American people. The EO directs federal leaders to measure customer experience and reshape interactions between citizens and government services. President Biden says the goal of the executive order is to build accountability and transparency. The EO includes 36 customer experience improvement commitments across 17 agencies. FEMA announced Saturday that the Biden administration authorized federal disaster assistance for Kentucky following the severe storms on Friday. John Brogan will head the federal recovery operations in the eight-plus counties impacted by the storm. And President Biden will be traveling to Kentucky this week to survey the damage from the storms that resulted in the deaths of at least 74 people, with still 100 unaccounted for. Two chief information officers and one chief technology officer will be leaving the federal service by New Year's Eve, according to Federal News Network. Russ Roberts, CIO at the Department of Transportation, will be marking his last day on December 31st, while Janet Vogel, CIO of the Department of Health and Human Services, is retiring this month. And the CTO of the Justice Department's last day is Friday. This past year, the federal government saw many iterations of policies, programs, and initiatives, all with the goal of delivering services to the American people. Today, we're recapping a few of the top stories from 2021. Jory Heckman is a reporter at Federal News Network. He covers oversight management and the use of data for the government. Jack Fitzpatrick is a reporter at Bloomberg Government. He covers congressional reporting as well as budget and appropriations news. Jory, uh, welcome to both of you, Jory and Jack, nice to have you both with us um jory i want to start with you um with the evidence act and federal data strategy what did you see in 2021 that was really significant
2: it's really been a big year for chief data officers across the board in the past couple of months alone we have seen the 2021 action plan for the federal data strategy this is a 10-year vision for data in government. That's actually something we're going to see play out for all of next year, really. Um, We've also seen the first public meeting of the Chief Data Officers Council, and so that is 80-plus members across government really trying to leverage data and really make it as usable as possible to deliver on mission. Okay, and
1: why is that significant? Because that's just a meeting.
2: It is, but when you think about it, data really underpins so many of the administration's priorities, whether you're looking at diversity, equity and inclusion, or trying to look at uh, raising readiness for artificial intelligence, which is a national security priority. It really cuts across so many different priorities. Just, Just the other day, the customer experience executive order data is also a huge part of that as well.
1: So have you really seen over the course of 2021, the government really making progress in this area and not just talking about it?
2: Definitely progress. I mean, we have seen a lot of work on the 2020 action Plans, the action items for the federal data strategy, and they have moved the needle in reskilling the workforce. That is a huge part of things. That's going to be something that can't get done in just one year, but we've seen a lot of progress there. We have seen the Office of Management and Budget from a government wide level start to reskill the federal workforce. They actually borrowed that idea from the Census Bureau from a couple of years back, so we're really seeing the ball roll in that regard.
1: You mentioned the uh, action plan for the federal data strategy. Why is that so significant? Are we really going to see some
2: impact moving forward? Well like I said this is a 10-year vision so this is you know the early third of that I would say at this point and at this point we've seen uh, promising starts just that the idea that this is a a chief data officer at 80 plus agencies at this point there is a tone from the top in terms of the administration saying that this is a key part of so many of their administration priorities and they are they are really playing off of each other in this regard so
1: jack turning to you i know you you cover budget and appropriations what was the biggest story of 2021
0: I think the biggest story that stood out compared to most years, because every year you wonder if there's going to be a shutdown on a funding deadline or you look at the debt limit, uh, but they have averted crises this year. The one that stood out was the reintroduction of the earmarking process that had been banned in Congress for uh, a decade since January of 2011. We are looking toward early next year now to see if they can actually fund the government and strike a funding deal by the February 18th deadline and this earmarking question is an interesting one to play into it because there were Republicans unsurprisingly uh, participating in the process so 16 Senate Republicans who did participate stand to win big Uh, Richard Shelby who's the top Senate appropriator on the Republican side has been approved by the Appropriations Committee to get more than half a billion dollars for his state alone and that's uh, just earmarks yes that's just the earmarks that he has approved. Uh, Senate Republicans in particular the few who participated uh, stand to win big for universities, for some military construction projects. Uh, and the question now is, can there be a bipartisan deal? And does that sweeten the pot for them a little bit? What about the debt limit? That was an interesting showdown uh, in December they uh, they had a, a bit of a standoff in which Republicans said Democrats have to address that through the reconciliation process which is how they pass partisan legislation in the Senate essentially uh, tying it to the social tax and spending bill that Democrats are trying to do Republicans at least partially backed down and interestingly agreed to create a little bit of a carve out or an exception to their own ability to filibuster on a forthcoming debt limit bill. It's a little process-oriented, uh, but a lot of lawmakers are, are curious if that sets a precedent for future debt limit agreements. I was going to
1: ask you about, yeah. does this set a precedent?
0: Democrats want it to, because there are so many things they are angry at the filibuster over, whether it's immigration, gun control, etc. cetera, uh, and they say if it, Republicans can agree to set aside the 60-vote threshold in the Senate for this, why not? Uh, other things. Conservatives are mad about it, too, in some cases, saying that they should have gone through the normal process. And
1: of course, we're under a continuing resolution that we talk about a lot on this program.
0: Yes. Uh, and again, February 18th is the deadline. They they avoided a Christmas showdown, which actually had been the recent history it was, you know, December 20th, 23rd uh, standoffs. And yet that kind of was brushed aside for most of December uh, with so much focus on that reconciliation, tax, and spending. Okay,
1: I'm going to ask you both this question, starting with Jory. What's going to be the biggest story for 2022? What's your prediction?
2: Wow. Well, you know, I think we're going to see early on in next year the learning agendas from agencies. That is basically agencies thinking out loud what are the biggest questions about our mission that we don't yet have answers to and that data is going to help answer those questions. So I think that's definitely something we're going to learn in 2022 and that's going to really show the value of chief data officers really across the board. Okay,
0: Jack. My big question for 2022 is if they can actually get anything done in government (laughs) funding. They're pushing this year's work back so far that that then delays potentially the president's next budget proposal, work on the next year. They get onto the campaign trail and if they have finished the Build Back Better Act work, they are on a very truncated schedule. So 2022 is gonna be a sprint.
1: All right, well, we'll pull the tape next year around this time and see if you guys are right. (laughs) Jory, Jack, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. Coming next, we'll hear from federal news reporters their picks for the top stories of 2021. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. (music) 2021 has presented a host of challenges and new programs for the federal workforce and leaders in government. We reached out to reporters on the federal beat to ask what their top stories were from this year. Here's a few of the answers we
3: received. I'm Leo Shane, deputy editor of Military Times, and my top story on the federal workforce for 2021 was the Department of Veterans Affairs electronic medical records overhaul. The department's trying to get on the same system as the Department of Defense for the first time ever, giving troops and veterans a single medical record that follows them from enlistment, through their military separation and beyond. The project has huge implications, not just for the 9 million veterans who are in the medical system and the 400,000 employees who work there, but also for the healthcare industry as a whole, just because of the tremendous scope of the individuals and workers involved. This year, was supposed to be a big step forward for the $16 billion project, but major problems with implementation of the software at the first site in Washington State forced VA leaders to put a six-month pause on the program. and That also increased skepticism among many lawmakers that this is ever going to work. In early December, VA Secretary Dennis McDonough announced plans to move ahead with the project after some reforms, some rescheduling, and adding new sites start starting next spring. If that works, VA can still meet the goal of having the system in VA hospitals by 2028. If not, it'll raise even more questions about whether VA leaders are wasting billions on a project that's never going to succeed.
4: i Alms, the federal workforce reporter at FCW. My top story from 2021 was a story centered on the question of how broadened access to telework and remote work after the pandemic could be a tool to increase accessibility in the federal government. Telework is a known retention tool for employees with disabilities and disability advocates have long pushed for broadened access to it. Um, I was excited to see the story shared on social media, by feds, accessibility-focused groups, and others, including the Department of Labor's Employer Assistance and Resource Network on Disability Inclusion, known as EARN. For me, the process of reporting this story sparked a curiosity about disability issues and an understanding of their importance that I'm continuing to incorporate into my reporting. Thanks.
5: Hi. I'm Kevin Bogardus, a reporter at e News, where I cover EPA and other federal agencies. My top story from 2021 about the business of the federal government is it's complicated. Tensions between EPA unions persist. President Biden has urged agencies to engage with their employee unions and renegotiate contracts. It's a 180-degree turn from the Trump administration, which targeted those unions, including at EPA. The same career managers at EPA who followed Trump's orders to be tougher on unions, now have to carry out Biden's new approach to labor. Union officials had hoped the shift in direction would go quickly, but there's been bumps and delays. Since my story ran in June earlier this year, EPA and its unions have been in negotiations over several workplace policies. Unions have encouraged their members to get vaccinated against COVID-19 to help meet Biden's vaccine mandate for federal employees. EPA and its largest union, the American Federation of Government Employees Council 238, have reached terms on several issues, doubling telework, creating remote work, making work schedules more flexible. That progress could lead to the bulk of EPA's workforce, many of whom have been working from home since the start of the pandemic, to return to the office soon.
1: You can find a link to these videos at our website, govmatters.tv. Up next, we discuss the top defense stories from this year. And we want to hear from you. What do you think was 2021's top story for the federal government? Share your thoughts with us on social media. Send in your answer on our poll. It's up now on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll be right back. The Defense Department saw many changes this year, with new initiatives and programs across all the services. We take a look at the biggest defense stories of the year with Howard Altman, he's senior managing editor of Military Times, and Valerie Insina, a reporter at Breaking Defense. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Howard, I want to start with you because I would think that the biggest defense story this year was the massive pullout from Afghanistan.
6: Well, clearly, it, was, it was a huge story ending uh, 20 years of U.S. presence in Afghanistan. It ended on a very chaotic note. At the end, 13 U.S. troops were killed in an attack, and um, there's still a continuing issue of Afghan allies left behind every day. My phone blows up with people seeking to get out. So that story is not really even over. A uh, big concern is how does the U.S. conduct over-the-horizon uh, attacks. Counterterrorism. W- with, without a presence there, as you saw on the uh, August 29th attack in Kabul that killed 10 civilians. That is not an easy task, and it's going to remain to be a difficult task as moving forward.
1: Um, Of course, now Russia is moving troops uh, along the border with Ukraine. That's also a very big story.
6: Well, it still remains to be seen. uh, The Ukraine uh, military recently told me that there's 120,000 Russian troops uh, aligned around the border. They're headed to Defense Intelligence Agency. Told me a few weeks back that the uh, Russians are preparing uh, for an attack in the end of next month, beginning of February time frame. It's still unknown what Putin's going to do. The U.S. is not anticipating having any uh, troops involved in that. There's been no troop movements, you know, ahead of anything. Uh, you, the government said, the Biden administration said it's going to be relying mostly on economic sanctions and other kinds of pressure.
1: And then, of course, the uh, China, the possibility of them moving aggressively against Taiwan in some way.
6: Well, that's a big concern. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin recently spoke at the uh, Reagan National Defense Forum and talked about uh, how recent uh, Chinese maneuvers, military maneuvers around Taiwan, resemble a rehearsal for invasion. So that's a, a big ongoing issue. Whether that happens is, is also unknown.
1: Valerie, what about you? Uh, what have you seen from the coming out of the Pentagon as far as the biggest story for 2021?
7: So I think one of the biggest stories is the transition that we're seeing playing out, obviously, from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. We have a lot of new officials that have come in over the past year, a lot still that need to get confirmed. Um, And, you know, we're seeing the pandemic recede. Um, And at the same time, I think there's a big question about what does the national defense strategy look like? Does there remain this still huge, uh, intense focus on China? I think so far we've, we've seen, you know, officials say, you know, we're still looking at China. This is our pacing threat. Um, but we're moving towards an era where budgets are going to be very flat. There's going to be a lot of competition within the services, within, you know, the different parts of the department. So I think next year is going to be the real kind of the real bellwether where we're going to see what does the Biden administration DOD look like
1: you mentioned the pandemic and of course with the pandemic we got the vaccine and vaccine mandates across the services and federal contractors
7: yes and you know it's it's been really interesting over the past couple of weeks last week we saw a federal judge in georgia who passed a nationwide injunction so kind of the latest on that um is that the Defense Department has directed contracting officers to kind of hold off on the implementation of the vaccine mandate for federal contractors. You know, we're still seeing the mandate play out for the services, but I think a big question is, you know, does this come back for, for contractors? Um, is, does that requirement, you know, continue to fetter out among the major defense companies? And I, I don't think there's a good answer there right now.
1: And and we are seeing um, some people being let go uh, from the services for refusing the mandate.
7: Absolutely, and I mean, that's something that the department has warned about. Um, I think that, you know, that is a story that will continue to play out until next year. And we will have to kind of keep our finger on the pulse to see, you know, how many people leave, you know, where are we losing talent? And, you know, are there any sort of legal challenges or any sort of political challenges that come as a result of this. You know, Howard, I
1: want to ask you about Iran because it seems like that's been quiet this year.
6: Well, <clears throat> it's been in the background as the nuclear negotiations are, are still taking place. There's still a great deal of concern about what Iran may do. The Israelis are pushing for action. Um, and you've seen a change in your Central Command that Israel is now a part of it. And they're actually meeting with um, Arab nations, which is, you know, many years ago would have been unprecedented. So they're uh, still a great deal of concern. And as uh, uh, U.S. has ended its combat mission in Iraq officially, it's been that way since 2020. But there's still Iranian-backed militias in in Iraq. So it remains to be seen what kind of tensions continue to exist.
1: And of course, we're under a continuing resolution. Um, in general, in the in the in the government impacts, what what are you seeing with that?
7: Well, of course, you know when you're under a continuing resolution, um, you cannot start new programs. The the pay raise for troops uh, can't really go into effect. Um, that's something that Secretary Austin has sort of talked about quite a bit. Um, but I think you know what we're seeing that sort of see, seems different is you know this is extending all the way into February. That's normally the time where we would see another budget come out. So I think we could see dovetailing impacts there. Um, And of course there's a huge question of what happens if Congress, you know, gets to February and they still don't come up with an appropriations deal. That could set a lot of programs back um, just because they're not able to ramp up production, they're not able to ramp up development activities. So it kind of, you know, even if we see the department sort of try to move forward technologically to take the steps that they need to take to deter China, you know, if they have the same budget as they did last year, they might be hampered, you know, trying to do that.
1: Okay, so I'll ask you both. Valerie, you go first. What's your prediction for the biggest story that we're going to see out of the Pentagon for next
7: year? Well, you know, I think for me, I'm going to be watching the national defense strategy. You know, how serious is it about taking China and what steps uh, does the department want to take to implement it? And I think Then, you know, I'm going to be looking at the budget and say and and asking, you know, where are you putting the money to 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 do this, to accomplish this strategy? And if you don't see those things combined, I think you've kind of got just an empty, an empty strategy that doesn't really do anything. So that's that's definitely one thing I'll be watching.
1: Okay, Howard, what about you?
6: Well, I guarantee if there's a China invasion of Taiwan or if there's a Russian invasion of Ukraine, those will be the biggest stories of the year.
1: All right. Howard and Valerie, thank you so much. We'll be watching, and uh, I'll hold you to those predictions. (laughs) Thank you very much. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And subscribe to our Government Matters podcast, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also listen to every episode on our website. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at eight and ten thirty on WJLA twenty four seven News, and Sunday mornings at ten thirty on Seven News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges.
0: Stay tuned for an interview with our podcast sponsor, Hughes Network Systems.
1: I'm here with Tony Bardo, Assistant Vice President for Government Solutions at Hughes. Tony, welcome. Can you start by just telling me what Hughes does for the federal government?
8: What we do is provide connections. We connect the dots, meaning we use a number of various technologies to connect federal agencies, their locations, their people in ways that are not traditional, uh, meaning that In the absence of terrestrial ground uh, infrastructure that was working, satellite was really critical.
1: All right. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Nice chatting with you.
8: Thank you, Mimi. Nice chatting with you. Thanks for
0: listening. Our Daily Show is produced by Catherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Visit GovMatters.tv for articles, videos, and more.